Welcome to Elevating Voices, Ending Hunger. I'm Amy McReynolds, your host and the Chief Equity and Programs Officer at Feeding America. Elevating Voices, Ending Hunger is a series of conversations with everyday leaders who are disrupting the systems of inequity that drive food insecurity across this country. In our last episode, we talked about building an inclusive democracy, and we learned about the importance of representation among policymakers in advancing change. This is true not only for our government institutions, but also nonprofits. Even with the best intentions, nonprofits have played a major role in maintaining racist systems, and the makeup of their leadership is a big reason why. On today's episode, we're focusing on racist charity structures and how to dismantle them, starting at the top. To discuss, we've brought in two leaders from the Community Food Bank of Southern Arizona. They are working on transitioning the food bank's traditional white space governance into one that represents and is responsive to the communities it serves. Let's roll. All right, great. So I want to welcome board member Renee Lopez and CEO Michael McDonald to the show today. Renee and Michael, thank you so much for joining us on Elevating Voices, Ending Hunger. Glad to have you here. Good to be with you. Great to be here. You know, Renee, I think maybe I'll start with you. You know, the um, term uh, white space governance might be familiar to some of the folks who are listeners, but maybe not to others. Can you break down what that means for us? What is it? How, do, how would you define that phrase? Oh, how would I define that phrase? For me, it would be like a board of directors or um, just uh, people in charge and mm. mostly being a being white and not having no diversity on the, you know, either on a board or like a board of trustees or anything like that in that in a, in a company that has where the hierarchy is nothing but white. That's what I would, for me, would be traditional white space governance because that's how we, me being Native American, I see that a lot. So I thought I would define that phrase. And Michael, as the CEO, like what what role do you play in breaking down this traditional white space governance, these deeply rooted approaches in philanthropy and nonprofits. Yeah, you know, having been in the nonprofit sector for quite a few decades, we do have white space governing uh, structures, governance structures and boards of directors. And so if we're a human service organization like a food bank, we're so often disconnected. Our lived experience in that boardroom is disconnected from the program participants or client communities that we serve and are mm-hmm. wanting to be in deeper partnership and solidarity with. So there's really a mission imperative. If we're going to do it right and do it the way it needs to be done and, and uh, come alongside of communities of color that already have solutions. They have needs, but they have already have solutions. We're going to have to uh, really think about who's in that boardroom. So I think, you know, the voices of who's in the room and who uh, knows they're empowered to speak their truth, their lived experience, their ideas for solving their needs, it has to change the, the diversity of the boardroom. So I think about, you know, uh, is our board representative of our community? Is it in deeper relationship with our community? Is it 
feel does it feel accountable to community and is it authorized by community mm. and so those are the themes that we're looking at and i think in my work as a ceo uh you know here i am a middle-aged white man uh, a do-gooder all these years and what i want to do is do right and we've got to shift the power dynamics in our boardroom where decisions are made often with not a lot of accountability to the people most impacted by those decisions. They have to have a voice in those decisions. So my work, quite frankly, I would say, it is to challenge the power dynamics that our traditional white space governance boards have. And that may feel, uh, that challenge may provoke people. And so there's probably some uncomfortableness with that, mm -hmm. some stress mm -hmm. of people who look like me with my background. It's like, is there a place for a middle-aged white guy? trying to do good and do right in the community. Yes, and it means you need to make space for others taking that space. You need to be supportive and you can bring your social networks and your political capital, social capital, you can bring that to the table, to the community. But it doesn't mean that you're front and center. You're not prioritized, you're not centered. And that can be terribly displacing for a lot of uh, white space governance structures like our board of directors. Right. As you, as I mentioned, the, they're very deeply rooted approaches. And Michael, you talk about being accountable to community and authorized by community uh, to, to dig into the work that you're focused on. Where do you see yourselves on that journey as an organization today? I think we're moving in the right direction when we've got people like Renee and others who are from community have participated in our work and are deeply knowledgeable about what community is looking for, what the Pasquayaki tribal community is looking for and needs and what they're wanting to do with their solutions. Mm -hmm. I, so I think we're on that journey. I think we've got a long ways to go. Um, I, I do think that, uh, uh, that not all of our board members may want to make that transition because they've just been part of a, a set of collective norms unquestioned norms for decades in the nonprofit sector about what does it mean to be uh, a, be a member of a board of directors. And that's great. You have good intentions. You want to do good, but you've got to really do it in partnership with the people most impacted by the, the service, the mission. And that's just a different way uh, of being in relationship with community. Um, and so I, you know, when I say to our board members, some of whom are retirees and done great work in the community, when I say, you know, I feel more accountable to our board for the financial success of our organization, but I don't feel really accountable to our board for the mission impact success. Mm. I feel accountable to Renee. I feel mm -hmm. accountable to people I meet in community who we are serving alongside of in community to do what they need to do to have economic security and food security and political opportunities uh, and power. I feel accountable to community for the mission impact. I don't want to be saying that five years from now. And I think we've got five years of hard work ahead of us to make that a reality. Yes. I, I appreciate that. Um, level set around the journey and the time of the journey and the intentionality with which that has to be part of it. Um, Michael, you talk about being in relationship with the community. And Renee, you are a member of one of the communities that the food bank serves. I'd love for you to just share a little bit more about your community and tell us about your story. How did you even get connected with the food bank? 
Um, I got connected with the food bank through um, the TANF program on the reservation. You know, some things happened with my, you know, with my children, and um, I had to really step up and be a father because I didn't want to do no. I didn't really didn't want to work like uh, construction no more. I didn't want to do like backbreaking work. And sure, Ms. Mendoza said, "Hey, how we have an internship with the food bank, the community food bank of Southern Arizona? Is that something that you would like to try?" And I said, yes, that's something I would like to try. So at first I thought it was just going to be, you know, something I, you know, let me see. But then I started really paying attention and started um, loving the work that the, that, you know, that, you know, I get to help people make sure they have something to eat and that I could do a whole lot more than just, you know, help with a box. Yes. And, and Renee, how do you go from internship, right, to now being on the board of the food bank and being <laughs> right. that that representative voice of community a representative voice of community not the only one at this particular food bank but what does that journey look like for you and, and i'm curious you know did you have any fears or concerns about making that shift and joining the board i did at first you know because i come from you know um i i did a lot of bad stuff when i was younger and I've had a pretty hard life, but I've never blamed nobody for it because I made the choices myself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just something that that spoke to me. When I saw somebody hurting for food like I used to when I was younger, I remember waiting in line for a food box and not knowing when we were going to eat. And the fact that I was able, when I was an intern over there, and I was able to help people get that food. And it's mm-hmm. been hard, you know, because like I said, when I first walked in the food bank, and saw the board of directors that were before me and or and other ones, I'm sure. But it, like I said before, it was just a long bunch of pictures of white, silvered guys, white guys. And I'm like... All along the wall, right? Yeah, all along the wall. <laughs> I mean, I mean, literally, like, how is this dude going to know what I've gone through when I know for a fact he has never struggled for a box of... For it to eat, to eat anything. I was like, there was nobody of color on there. Nobody. And I'm like... Like you should, it's me that you want on there, because I'm can be outspoken sometimes, and I don't have, you know, a college degree like some like most that are on our board and and all that. But I do, I know one thing I do have is life experience, and that's one of, one of you know one of the things that I know I bring to the table, and I know I have the heartbeat of my, not only my community, but I go to the tribal community. And the one out here on, on Tucson, you know, the Tucson community, too, where I live. So the community food bank serves both of them. You know, I was able to get, like, a little food bank on the reservation with the help of the community food bank of Southern Arizona. It took me a year to, you know, mend this bridge. And when I once I did, it's been, like, so great. They're still out there. And now we have another one out here in Opasqua, which it used to be, it used to be the headquarters for, the, for my nation. But we got it out here, and, and I, I'm literally like two blocks away from that. So, you know, it's it was intimidating at first, but I know that I can adapt, and I'm pretty smart when, I come, when it comes to reading, so I read a lot. <laughs> well, Renee, I mean, just in talking with you, I mean, you, you said you're pretty outspoken, and it sounds like Michael might have been looking for somebody who brought that, that lens and, and uh, those words, right, around the table to represent your story, to bring your life experience, your expertise to the table in ways that others around that table aren't uh, unable to do so. And Renee was already speaking truth to power 
way before we asked and invited him to join our mm-hmm. board of directors, it, we were at political rallies together. Remember, Renee, when we had that big meeting? The with, yeah. Session? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So, so we would, you know, Renee was just speaking truth to, to elected officials, to corporate execs. Yes. And, and it's like, oh my gosh, we've got this, this guy, we've got to have him in our boardroom because not only is he deeply committed to community and already making things happen in partnership with the food bank, he's willing to, to really go after the social injustices, the inequities, the disparities that exist in our community and across the U.S. and um, really tackle uh, the public policy reform that we need and, and let folks know that certain things are unacceptable and we can change them. It's a choice. So there was so much sounds like Michael that you already saw and what Renee was bringing to the community that made him a great fit for the board. A true community leader. And that's what we need. Deeply embedded in community representative of (laughs) and accountable to. So Michael, when you think about right, uh, Renee being a true community leader, um, you know, and having that expertise and, and that voice on your board, what are some of the other sort of significant barriers to change, to changing this this white space governance structure that is just so deeply embedded in 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 our space, in the nonprofit space, in the charitable food space? Yeah, and I think again, it's probably part of the nonprofit sector's ethos. You know, we we get stuck. We as do-gooders, we get stuck in sort of a paternalistic mode like we have the answers you know we're going to swoop in we're going to put together a bunch of boxes of food here's some money um if you've got other uh root cause um programming like uh oh let's provide economic opportunities through job training or microloans or Mm. you know so you when that swoop in mentality that is very paternalistic and doesn't respect um uh the communities in which we we live and accountable to, I think it's hard to break through that. I think when people are really self-reflective individually and collectively in our board space, and this has happened recently in our board space and Renee can speak to it as well. When we start to challenge that ethos and say, well, you know, that's rather paternalistic. Uh, Let's hear from Dora, and uh, who's a community organizer in her community. What do you think needs to be done? And wh- mm. what are the solutions already happening? Rather than someone who is from outside of that community mm-hmm. saying, well, here's the financial literacy program that you need. Well, maybe. Maybe we need aspects of it, but it needs to be our program. It needs to be at least co-created. So I, I think it's terribly threatening and, and displacing for uh, white space governing boards to be self-reflective, first of all, and say, yeah, we, we do want to do good, but we want to do it the right way in partnership. We do have things to offer, but we don't need to be in charge and in control. We don't need to have the answers. We need to hold the space for community to come up with the answers. And we're going to be allies and advocates and champions of the answers that are emerging from that co-creation. You know, Renee, you could talk about it. We've had board conversations that have been pretty heated. Because different life experiences. And so, Renee, uh, if you want to lean into that, go for it. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I'm just going to, you know, yeah, we have some board members and, you know, we've had some talks where, you know, somebody's sense of justice is way different from, you know, most of the way we see justice. But Mm. at the same time, it's just like, to me, it just doesn't seem like, uh, how do I put this? 
like changing the guard. That's what's happening. That we want to change it, and the people that have the power right now don't want to let go of it. Mm. But that that's how I feel. That's how I feel. Like honestly, they do know, but they just don't want to give it. I see the power of the guard doesn't want to change. Yeah. So that that's interesting. I mean, for both of you, I feel like we're living in very interesting times. I mean, even as we tape this episode today, uh, this week has been uh, a week that uh, has brought forward, right, the Tulsa massacre, the massacre of over 300 people in Greenwood, Oklahoma, in the Greenwood community. And this idea of systemic racism uh, seems like it is at a heightened sense of awareness in our country and it continues to be in play. There is a movement toward greater justice. There's public pressure to engage in this type of work. So there's a lot of momentum right now. And and I'm curious, you know, Renee, given your experience of what you're seeing uh, maybe in the boardroom and other spaces that you're in and Michael, how do you feel that the current environment has influenced your work? Um, I mean, I heard you say, Renee, you feel like some people don't want to let go, right? So how has it either helped or hindered your work? Um, I think it's helped on talking about it. Like like people are a little bit more open to talking about it. I think it's, you know, and that's right. But but it in my, my opinion, I think it's hindered it because some like I, you know, some people ain't gonna listen. I think you know sometimes you can get along or you can get run over. So that's my philosophy. You know, yeah. it's, it's been long, for me. It's been long enough. Like you said, everybody is paying attention. Everybody is into it. But the thing mm-hmm. is, is get grab this momentum and run with it and make something of it. You know, yes. don't you know? Time for talk is for me. Time is talk is over. I, I want to get to the nitty gritty. Let's make, you know, let's start making these policies and start putting them down to words and statements and this, this, and let's go, you know, and, and let's not lose this momentum because, you know, those who don't see history are doomed to repeat it. And I don't want that. That's right. Cause this is so, not the first time, right? When it's not exactly, this is another movement in our country's history. Michael, is there anything you wanted to add to that? I think the moment is now, and I think this is catalyzing and clarifying around commitments. Mm. And who do we stand with? Who do we stand for? Mm-hmm. And in our, with our mission, uh, we know who we need to stand with and stand for. It, 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 is, it is just a very different way of doing business. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of nonprofit boards have great – I've always had great trustees involved – but quite frankly, in my experience, they off, often check their risk tolerance at the door. So oh, man. they just don't want to take financial risks. But more importantly, they don't want to take mission impact risks because we've been pretty much co-opted by uh, other sectors' way of thinking in many respects. So, for mm-hmm. instance, you know, we're, we're fighting for 15 here <laughs> in our community, yes. our main headquarters in Tucson. And the food bank is a big – we are the funder of that effort. And we've got board members is like, well, you know, should we be doing it? We might create enemies. We might lose donors. We might have politicians pissed off at us. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, but we're not the chamber of commerce. They will never take that risk. We are here as a human service nonprofit in solidarity with community. When we know during a pandemic, uh, economic security drives everything yeah. related to food security. We have to take that mission impact risk. We, if not us, who? Ex- 
Absolutely. Renee, I hear you um, uh, agreeing with Michael, right? Signifying, yes, especially when he said risk tolerance, right? That seemed to hit a nerve for you. As you are on this board, right? Um, What do you still need that maybe you're not getting right now? Is what's um, something maybe you could even ask for on this podcast that you haven't yet asked for in the boardroom? I haven't asked, and it's I want more training. That's I mm. think more training with board members, community members, and staff at you know all three of those because we haven't gotten none of that because we all have different, um, we all walk in different you know walks of life. But if we were to actually get like us either through Zoom or even you know, you know, a lot of things are starting to open up, even like you know. But started those small spots, you know, like two two board members, two two um, community or two clients that we you know that are with us, and like say two, you know, workers from the food bank to see you know like you know get this ball rolling and actually show them that we're serious that we're not playing because a lot of people like Michael says everybody's so worried about risk and they don't like the word risk. Oh, I don't know. We should be doing this risk or be using that word. Well, what is it then? You know, if you're, you guys ain't going to do it, then I, that's what we're here for. We're, you know, we say we're for the community when we stand with them. When are we going to really stand with them? Yes. And yes, will, will, will we, hey, will we piss people off? I'm sure we will. But a hey, change doesn't come with sacrifice, baby. I'm just saying. Yes, yes. And Renee, when you say more training, tra- training on what? Like, part of me is is, is wondering, like, oh, we know that board governance has been traditional white space, right? So I'm yeah. like, I don't want you to get traditional board no, governance training. Be, I think more like a relational, like, you know, mm. because I think the board of directors don't hear enough from the community members that are clients that they serve. I see. Who they're, you know, they're, they're, they're making, they're make, like you said, they're, Making policies and making, you know, like just training has a, D, a lot more D I E work. Like, like diversity, equity, and inclusion. No, diversity, inclusion, and in equity because, okay. like, like Michael said, sometimes things have to die so they can be born. Oh, that's right. That's right. You have talked about D I E. That's right. Yeah. You know, and I think that because I don't think that's enough. We don't get enough of that on, on, on any fronts. And, mm. you know, like, like I don't know the whole, the whole board members. I don't know. I've been on there almost over a year and a half now, and there's very few that I don't that I know by name, but I don't know yeah. like about them. I, I want to know about what what um, uh, Tony is talking about. I want to know what Erica's talking about. I want to know why Nathan thinks this way, so I can get you know. I want to see the full aspect. Yes, I want to see everything. So I think in that aspect, like training like that, like that kind of training where we get that DIE work really in between all of us. And like me, the community sees stuff like that and they actually, you know, they start opening it up. They really do. They really start want, okay, we have a platform. We have somebody that's going to stand with us and not leave us when the time of need comes. Yes. Yes. And Amy, we started our diversity, equity, inclusion journey officially, organizationally, institutionally about two years ago. Okay. So right before Renee joined the board, we had our DEI or DIE consultants in uh, working with the board and we got kind of got stalled. We started a board equity um, team and it the board started to just have some fractures in their relationships. Mm. So we're bringing back... Uh, as Renee is saying, we know. Uh, and so this summer and well into next 
fiscal year, we're, we're going to have a lot of good companions or consultants joining us to try to reconnect the board. Um, because I think, you know, while we start tongue in cheek, say DIE, that something might have to, to die for something to be born. We do know that people want to belong. And so yes. belonging, you know, if you tie that to the end of DIE and say that people have this deep desire to connect and make a difference and belong to something that's bigger than themselves. And I think that's something that food banks do offer that opportunity to people, mm. but it's a different way of belonging. We can't, do- we can't have some dominating. It's got to be right. a true uh, there's, there's got to be true partnership in that. And that's the struggle. And I think we're going to get there, but there is some trust building and repair to do. And then there's still, so there's support to provide, but there's still challenge and, and um, self-reflective uh, feedback uh, individually and collectively that we've just got to say, where are we? Where do we want to be? How do we get there? And there's not an easy playbook for this stuff. Yes. You know, it's not like we can just turn to one to one set of consultants and or one organization. We're learning. This is a learning journey. And it's a co-created journey with yes. our board, our staff, our community members who are, you know, clients and supporters of the work and, and agency partners in that journey. So yeah. it's terribly messy. It's uncomfortable. It's anxiety producing. And it's mm. wonderful all at once. <laughs> but <laughs> I think Renee, emotions, yeah, yeah and, and Renee said it, you know, great change comes only up with great sacrifice. And so as a transitional leader in this organization, and I say that very deliberatively, you know, I've been here for about seven and a half years. I maybe have a couple other years. My goal as a transitional leader is to, to reform our white space mm. governance, mm-hmm. is to reform our hierarchical structure, distribute power and share leadership broadly across the organization, both the governance function, the management function, the staff, and across our partner network and do that in partnership, closer partnership with community members. And so our ecosystem of governance isn't just about who's which 20 members are sitting in a governing board meeting. It's about advisory groups from community. It's about listening sessions with community members. It's about how do we have a process and a structure for accountability to a partnership with the community. And that's a reform that uh, we've got to be, I think we're on the journey of, Mm -hmm. and we're a long ways from getting there. But I think people are starting to see it and starting to want it. Even board members who might feel a little bit like, do I have a place here anymore? Yes, you do. If you if you can be part of that, what I appreciate and what I'm hearing both of you talk about really is um, right there. This isn't um, a checklist kind of work, right? There is there is deep um, relational work, self examination, growth, and learning that is required to be in community, to be in partnership to co-create with one another. And I appreciate you all talking about just sort of the messiness of all of that and the necessity of all of that work too. You know, Renee, I'm hopeful that people who are listening to this podcast are folks who might be in a similar position as you, somebody from the community, right? As we look to transform white space governance all across the sector, right? What advice might you have for folks who are at other nonprofits who are truly looking to engage, authentically engage community members 
in the decision-making and governance process. What advice do you have for those folks? Be genuine, hmm. you know, show, show up, you know, and engage really like ask questions, the tough questions too. Or if you don't know, you know, just say, I don't know. I don't understand, you know, explain it to me, you know, actually be relational. Like I didn't know a lot of things when I got there, when mm. I got here, because when I first got there, Amy, I didn't think that the community food bank was, it was said what it was doing. I really didn't. I was, a, and then I started looking into it and I started, you know, and they start, I could see the shift. I could see Michael shift. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I could see the, mm. you see the way, you, I saw the winds of change coming. I was like, "Woo! He's about to change up in this place." I'm just saying. I've been around the block once or twice, and when you see little things just start picking up speed, I'm like, "Wow, people ain't gonna like this." But you know what? But that's the that's care. the genuine authenticity, Renee. Right when you yeah. when you when you feel and see those winds of change, right? Genuine oh, yeah. authenticity, and then taking action in the direction that you say you want to, mm -hmm. right? And yes. not being afraid to stumble, right? You may stumble, yes. but that's okay. I'm hearing you yes. say that's okay, but continue to build that relationship. That's human. Exactly, and I just—that's the only thing I, you know, I can give. That's the best. Just be engaged because even like my friend Vince, he's like, because I told him I'm gonna be with you guys, with you and Michael. I was like, I'm gonna be with me in America. He's like, man, he's like, community and nonprofits just need to work with each other. And this mm -hmm. is coming from a guy who's not like. He doesn't, you know, volunteer very much. But, you know, after me talking to him for, like, the last six months, he's like, man, they're doing a really good thing. He's like, good luck in your podcast. And he's like, they need to hear this, Renee. And it, people do need to hear this, you know, whether it's good or bad. And like I said, I don't have all the answers. God knows I wish I had all the answers for what I what I think should happen. But as long as I got people like you, Amy, Michael McDonald, Robert, everybody at the food bank, people who know that it's that we have to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. Yes. Yes, and we and we build the playbook together. We do. Yes, together. exactly. Yeah. If we don't have, like, like Michael said, we don't have. We know we can't just pull out a page and be like, oh, "Okay, this is how it's going to be." We're putting this playbook together as we go. So, really, be engaged with the people that they say they want to help, because we need it. The community needs it, whether people want to believe it or not. We really do. So, so to that end, I guess as we come to a close, I can't believe we're coming to a close already, but as we wrap this up, I'm, I'd love to hear from both of you, both Michael and Renee, you know, it's, it's 2031 and um, we are seeing change. We have seen change take place in nonprofit governance. We've seen traditional white space governance come to a close. Um, what has been achieved as a result of this shift, of this this transformation that has happened all across the sector? I think the journey would certainly be that our uh, governing board of directors and any of our advisory groups, that demographically, we are aligned with the demographics of our five-county service area. Because who's in the room and the voices that are heard matters about what gets done and how one measures success to Renee's point. If it's just a bunch of numbers and statistics, it's like, yes, we can do quantitative assessment, but it's really about the quality of life and, and the opportunities that uh, people are afforded by institutions mm -hmm. and in partnership with institutions like the community food bank of Southern Arizona. So I think part of that, it, 
that's significant and that would be a big change. And it, and if we could do it not only within our own institution, but within our agency partner network, yes, that we could support that because then that that is a whole sea of change happening in a very racially diverse, ethnically diverse, culturally rich uh, southern and economically struggling Southern Arizona. Mm. If that could happen, that would be huge. So I think that that needs to be declared as. Uh, something that we really work on. It's an outcome that we need for equity. I think the other thing too that I would offer is that hierarchy, while we'll never get rid of hierarchy, it needs to be more life-giving and healthy rather than the toxicity that we see Mm -hmm. in so many organizations in Mm -hmm. all sectors of the economy and society. And so if we could have more shared power and distributed, uh, you know, shared leadership and distributed power, not concentrated, better decisions get made, less blind spots, less biases, less opportunity to mess up and more opportunity to get it right (laughs) and really be accountable and authorized uh, by community and accountable Mm. to community. So I, I think looking at even, um, you know, leadership structures or management structures, I, I think there's a case to be made and some organizations are doing it. Usually they're younger startup nonprofits scale up, justice nonprofits that are looking at co-executive director models as an expression of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion values and principles that, that we do this in belonging together as a community. And so why not look at uh, co-leadership, however that gets expressed, it could be in my role as co-executive directors. It could be throughout the organization, you know, co-leaders of, board committees, co-leaders of boards, co-lead. So co-leadership, however that's expressed, I think is an important outcome as well. Renee, anything you'd want to add to that vision? Oh, you know what? I'm just going to piggyback on that, but I would also like to just add that I would really like more um, talk with other nations. Yes. That's one of the, more, that's one of the main things I would like, because I think that needs to grow as everything else grows and not because most Native Americans don't feel included. I I, mm-hmm. I know this mm-hmm. firsthand. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I would love to see myself personally. Coming at the end of the conversation, but definitely not an in note to the conversation. It's so important being seen, especially for people who have been erased from history. So I want to thank Michael. I want to thank you. I want to thank you, Renee for your time, for your thoughts, for sharing your story today. And I want to thank all of our listeners so much for joining us once again on another episode of Elevating Voices and Ending Hunger. If you enjoyed our conversation today and you want to get involved in the work Feeding America is doing to address equity and food insecurity, visit feedingamerica.org backslash act. Don't forget to share the show with others. Be sure to subscribe so you can get new episodes as soon as they're available. Thank you again to Michael and Renee. I'm Amy McReynolds, and I look forward to continuing our equity journey together in the next episode.